our series in the book of Acts today, and we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 22 and 23, and the message this, this morning is titled, Suffering Circumstances. Ugh. Suffering Circumstances. I say, ugh, because who wants to talk about suffering? No one raised their hand this morning. No one wants to talk about suffering, but in reality, all of us suffer in some way or somehow, and if you haven't suffered up to this date, don't worry, your time is coming, because you're going to suffer. It's just the reality of being a human. It's we're going to face suffering in some way or some, somehow. So as we continue this series in Acts, we find our place studying the results of Paul's difficult decision to return to Jerusalem and preach the gospel where Paul knows there is going, he is going to face certain suffering. He had to make a difficult decision, which Pastor Greg preached last week about making difficult decisions. And in that difficult decision, he knew he was going to face certain suffering. This brings up a very important question that every believer and even non-believer must struggle with. Why does God allow suffering? Why does a good God allow suffering? This may be an attempted argument for non-believers in general. In a macro view, in a large-scale picture and view, atheists and God-doubting people point to suffering as proof that there can be no God. After every natural disaster, after every hurricane, tornado, tsunami, after every tragedy involving the wickedness of humanity, or a murder, God doubters and atheists always say, where is God? Where is God in this moment? Why did God allow this to happen? Why are you praying to a God who didn't stop this tragedy from happening? On the macro level, you can look at Jesus' life, his testimony, and the reason for his being to answer the question of how God could allow suffering. And later on, I will address that and give you direction and the answer to that question. But I want to transition to a micro this morning, a micro level as in a personal level. The question is, why does God allow suffering in my life? Why does God allow suffering in my life? Why, God, am I going through this? Why, God, am I sick? Why am I going through this illness? Why, God, do I have these financial struggles? Why, God, am I suffering even though I believe in you, even though I trust in you, even though I have faith in you, even though I go to church every Sunday, lift my hands and worship and surrender, I am still suffering? Well, believe it or not, you can suffer and still be in God's will. Oh, that's a dagger in the heart, isn't it? Just because you are a Christian, you have faith in God, just because you are disciplined in your faith and you tithe and you give of your time, just because you do all the right things does not exempt you from suffering. I hate to say it. I'm sorry to be the bearer of the truth today, but you're not exempt from suffering just because you're a Christian. Our case study this morning is following Paul's difficult but spirit-driven decision to return to Jerusalem to face certain suffering. We begin at the end of Acts 21 for context when Paul is attacked after spending seven days in Jerusalem. So we'll turn to Acts 21, verse 27. It's titled, Paul Arrested in the Temple. And this reads, When the seven days were almost completed... 
the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. This is Paul, laid hands on Paul, crying out, Men of Israel, help this man. This is the man who was teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law of this place. Skipping to verse 32. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to him. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. So at this point, Paul was being beaten. And the Roman centurions had to come and rescue him. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people were, were, who were following, crying out, away with him. So the Jewish people who saw Paul worshiping in the temple courts, the ones from Asia recognized him and started to create a riot, essentially to grab Paul and to beat him and to torture him. And the Roman soldiers had to come and rescue Paul. They didn't know who this guy was, who they were rescuing, but they had to rescue him and bring him essentially to prison. Have you ever endured a season where you had little control over your circumstances? When each day brought a new and unexpected challenge in your life, when life seemed like it was spinning out of control, when you had no control over anything, Paul was in the midst of a series of events like this. He was in the midst of a mob who was trying to take his life, and he had no control. And even, he had no control even when the Roman centurions came and took him prisoner, because as a prisoner now he relinquished all of his rights and freedom. The point today that we can learn from Paul is that you can be suffering in God's will. After some confusion with the Roman commander about Paul's identity, Paul was allowed to address the crowd which was trying to beat and kill and torture him. The crowd that wanted him dead, Paul was allowed to address them. And Paul preached his testimony and miraculous conversion to this crowd. He was able to clearly articulate the gospel and his reasoning for believing in Jesus. So after the Romans took him to the prison, he was allowed to address the mob who was following him who wanted him dead. And he preached his testimony. He told them all about his conversion, his miraculous conversion. You see, Paul wanted Christians dead. And then he converted. He had a miraculous conversion and he encountered Jesus and his life was converted, and he was a new person. He had a new identity and a new mission, and that radically changed Paul's life. And Paul was able to clearly articulate this to the Jewish people who wanted him dead. And guess what happened? His testimony was not received well. They actually called on him to be killed even more so after hearing his testimony. Talk about suffering in God's will. God's will for Paul's life was to go to Jerusalem, be able to preach the gospel and the mission of Jesus Christ to the Jewish people, and yet he did that and was still suffering. We can be in God's will and still suffer. Of course, I believe it was God's will for Paul to be able to address the crowd and preach the gospel using his testimony and work in his life. But that doesn't mean that Paul didn't pay an incredible price for that opportunity. There was a huge price to pay. 
And that price was he relinquished all control of his future. As a prisoner, he had no more freedom. As a Jewish man who converted to Christianity to believe in Jesus Christ in Jerusalem preaching about Jesus, he relinquished his physical safety. He gave it up for the mission. I mean, this is incredible. You would think that with his testimony preaching to the Jewish people, they would accept Jesus right there. I mean, we've seen all the miracles happen through Paul's life and his witness. You would think that through his testimony, through his witness of what he's going through, you would think that as he articulated the miracle of Jesus to these people who wanted to kill him, it wouldn't surprise me if the Holy Spirit fell down on that place and converted every single one of them. But that didn't happen. He preached his message, and they still wanted to kill him. They still wanted to persecute him. They still wanted to destroy and torture him. There were louder calls for Paul to die after he shared his testimony. That teaches me that not everyone reacts to truth with enthusiasm. In fact, sometimes your faith causes people to despise you even more. Living out your faith out loud causes people to despise you more. So don't be surprised that when you stand firm and be courageous in your faith, which God has called you to do, that people don't like you for that, that people will despise you more for that, that people will prosecute you more for that. You see, living up to your faith doesn't mean you're going to be exempt from suffering and prosecution. In fact, it probably means you're going to be prosecuted more. So this is a warning to you, church. Standing up for your faith is not easy, will not be easy. It was never promised to be easy. It was never promised that us, as Christians, can come to church freely, worship God with no cost to us. We just have the privilege of living in the United States of America to be able to come to church freely and worship Him. Amen? That's a blessing that we have. That's a privilege that we have. That was not promised. That is not promised in Scripture. You are not promised this freedom. So don't be surprised if freedoms all of a sudden start falling away. Because that's when the church is supposed to rise up. Amen? In high school, my main sport was wrestling. I loved to wrestle. It fit my body type. I could fight someone the same size as me. Wrestling naturally fit who I was. And so I grew up wrestling my whole entire life. It was my focus. It was my motivation. I loved it. I was the team captain, and everyone followed my leadership. And I was put in a very difficult situation my junior year in high school when a girl joined the wrestling team. She joined the wrestling team and happened to be the same weight as I was. Not only did she join the wrestling team, not only was she the same weight as I was, her father was a wrestling coach in another school district. So it's not like she didn't know what she was doing. She was pretty good. And I had a conviction not to wrestle a girl. I wouldn't do it. I didn't want to. I was in tournaments where girls were in the brackets, and I said if I ever had to face a girl in wrestling, I would just forfeit. Even if I was expected to win a tournament, I would forfeit. Fortunately, that never happened, but a girl did join my wrestling team that I was the captain over in the same weight class, and she was pretty good. And so I had to stand up to my convictions and tell my coach I did not want to wrestle because of my faith and my convictions. I did not feel like it was right, and I didn't feel comfortable doing it. And it caused a lot of animosity between me and my coach. And some of the parents on the team were not in favor of me taking this stance because since I was in leadership, I also set the tone a lot for the wrestling team. And so they thought that I was being unfair to her. 
I was being unfair, but it was against my convictions. I had a conversation with my coach. He said, this is not, he knew my father was a pastor, and he said, Keith, this is, not, this is not your father's decision. It's not your parents' decision. I won't tell your parents that you wrestled her. I won't tell your parents that you practiced with her. No one will know. It's okay. And I had to, in that moment, learn that my faith was my faith and my convictions were my convictions. And so I had to hold true to my convictions, and my coach despised me for it. Some of the parents despised me for it. The parents who are supposed to be on the sideline cheering for you as you wrestle for the team didn't cheer for you because of the decisions that you made. It shows to prove that your personal convictions are between you and God, and people will not understand those convictions sometimes. You walk through life hearing from God, and not always do those people understand what you heard from God. Amen? That's why it's a personal relationship with Jesus. That's because Jesus speaks to you. He shows truth through his word. He speaks to you, and he gives you convictions to live life by. Don't be surprised, but by your convictions, people will despise you. It's suffering. Paul had to experience one of the most frightening days of his life. He had to be beaten by a mob, rescued, taken away by Roman soldiers, almost flogged, which we'll get into in a moment, and rescued again. He eventually was thrown into a hostile Jewish court for questioning. How does Paul react to uncontrollable circumstances? As a prisoner, you relinquish all control. You're at the mercy of the authorities and the courts. How does Paul respond to the uncontrollable circumstances, and what can we learn from the situation? Well, I believe that what we can learn from Paul's uncontrollable situations and his circumstances is to control what you can control. How many know you can't control other people? That's the truth of life. You can't control other people. You can control yourself. You can't control other people. That means you can't control your boss, your coworkers, your children, your spouse, your family members, the person driving behind you or in front of you. You can't control other people. But what can you control? Yourself. Paul is being dragged away by a Roman commander. This Roman commander, by the way, is very confused of what's going on. Paul spoke Jewish, or spoke Hebrew to the Jewish people, which his commander spoke Greek, okay? So he sees the Jewish people arguing in Hebrew. He sees Paul speaking in Hebrew. He has no idea what's going on. And then Paul speaks Greek to this commander, and now this commander's like, wait a second, you're a very educated man, obviously, because you can speak these languages. You're not some thug on the side of the street deserving to die because you stole something. You obviously mean something very important to these people, and you're educated. And so this commander was so confused about what's going on, he decided himself, in order to get to the bottom of this, I'm going to chain you up, Paul. I'm going to beat you until I get the truth out of you. That's that's what you do when you don't understand. You chain people up and you beat them and you get the truth out, right? Right, all right, just so we are understanding as we move forward. So Paul, in the face of being beaten, speaks out in chapter 22, verse 25, and he says, do you really want to strike a Roman citizen to this commander? This commander, not knowing previously that Paul was a Roman citizen, immediately took those orders and stopped them, and he relinquished and refer to the higher courts of what to do with Paul. He's certainly confused because he has no idea what's going on, and then he realizes that Paul is a Roman citizen, and he knows that he can't beat a Roman citizen. 
control what you can control. Paul thought logically, strategically, and advocated for himself in a moment of being beaten. He was chained up, about to be whipped, and he speaks out that he is a Roman citizen, and because he's a Roman citizen, he has rights. This is a man speaking in a calm manner, showing a security and a peace of mind that Paul enjoyed. He was not disturbed either with anger or fear in the midst of these circumstances around him at that moment. The potential danger that he was in, he was not preoccupied with fear, but he spoke out in advocating for himself. The Romans had a law, it's called Lex Sempronia, that if any commander or authority punished a Roman citizen in dicta causia without hearing him speak for himself and deliberating upon the whole case, the person in authority would be liable. So if this commander went through and beat Paul after knowing he was a Roman citizen, he would himself indict pain on him. He would have been liable. It was the privilege of every Roman to have the ability to defend himself and wrongdoing. And Paul, because he was a Roman citizen, knew that. So he was able to control his emotions, react, and because he had peace about the situation that he knew God had in there, was able to speak out and advocate for himself. But that doesn't mean Paul wasn't discouraged. It doesn't mean that Paul didn't have emotions. He just spoke his testimony to his people, the Jewish people of Jerusalem, and it was not received. Paul knew his life could be taken at any moment. Having these emotions were natural, but they didn't prevent Paul from being able to think, react, and control his emotions and his actions. How many know that's a, a word for us today? Whatever's going on in your life, maybe in the heat of the moment, you need to be reminded to take a deep breath and to think and the trust the Holy Spirit, right? The fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In the, moment, in the moment of chaos, in the moment of unrealized circumstances, and uncontrollable circumstances, I believe God calls us to have self-control. It's one of the fruit of the spirits. It's a way that the Holy Spirit can supernaturally take control and allow you to think clearly. That's the joy of Christianity that we have a reliance on the Holy Spirit. You can't control other people, but you can control yourself. You can control your actions, your words. You can control what you can control, and that is yourself. It's okay for Christians to be intelligent. It's okay for you to be smart. Isn't that just a nice word this morning? You can be smart. You can be intelligent. You can use the law and the judicial system to your advantage for your rights. It's okay to be critical thinkers. It's okay to use logic and strategy. God has created you with a mind, with a temperament, with a personality, and has given you all the instruments that you need as a child of God to succeed. Amen? God has created you perfectly with a mind, so use it. Paul uses his mind and his right as a Roman citizen to avoid being beaten, and then he moves on to the next challenge, and that's the court case. So in chapter 23, verse 1, Paul is now before the council. The Roman commander said, I don't want to deal with you. I'm going to move you up the ladder to the next authority. And so now Paul, looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him in the mouth. Then Paul said to them, 
God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? And yet contrary to the law, you ordered me to be struck. And those who stood by him said, would you revel in God's high priest? And Paul said, I do not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of ruler of your people. There's a lesson here. Act in humility through your sufferings. Act in humility. Paul had to act in humility in the face of authority, and he apologized to the high priest. Why did he apologize to the high priest? You must notice that, most, must notice that Paul lashes out in anger over the offense of being punched in the mouth. He whips back a sharp insult of the man who ordered him to be punched. I mean, when I read this, I feel like that's totally justified. If you are punched in the mouth, who wouldn't yell an insult back? If you, were, if you were standing there speaking about your case and someone came up to you and punched you in the mouth, would you not say something back? And what does Paul say back? God shall strike you, you whitewashed wall. Whitewashed wall. I mean, Paul, come on. That's, what you got, that's all you got? <laughs> that's your insult, you whitewashed wall? I mean, if I got punched in the mouth... I'm not sure whitewashed wall is what I'd be saying. And don't act like you're so righteous either. Like, oh, I wouldn't say anything either. I don't think so. Paul, I mean, Paul was so holy that he used whitewashed wall, which actually is biblical because Jesus used that term because the only whitewashed walls in Jerusalem were tombs. So Jesus uses this analogy in Matthew 23 when he says, you are like tombs whitewashed walls on the outside, but within full of dead men's bones, essentially calling them hypocrites. That's what, that's what Jesus used the analogy for, you're hypocrites. And so Paul, knowing scripture so well, he calls the high priest a hypocrite, calling him a whitewashed wall. I would certainly use another term, but Paul is so holy, he used scripture as his insults. And that's why Paul is in the Bible, and I'm not. So Paul is calling the high priest a hypocrite. It's certainly not the most tactful way for a prisoner to address a judge. And I don't recommend insulting a judge, a police officer, a teacher at school, or anyone in authority with insults, justified, of, justified or not, because we must act in humility at, when we are at the mercy of someone else. It's just common sense. When you're at mercy of someone else, use your mind and act in humility because you're at mercy of someone else. Amen? The moment it was pointed out to him that Ananias was indeed the high priest and Paul immediately repented of what he said. He apologized. Why did he apologize? He apologizes because the law says that the office deserves respect even if the man does not. Did you get that? Paul doesn't respect the high priest. He respects the office of the high priest. There's a certain respect with authority, even if we don't respect the person fulfilling that authority. Isn't that something to learn today? Politicians and authorities may be making life miserable in certain ways, but it's not lost on our responsibility to respect authority even through disagreement. Let me tell you, church, revival happens when Christians are persecuted and suffering. There's a certain revival that happens when the church is persecuted 
So tell me why that the church in revival happens in China, the Middle East, and Russia. What do all of those three regions and countries have in common? They have a heavy governmental and authoritative control over them. Government cannot stop revival. In fact, government probably creates an atmosphere for revival to happen at a faster pace when the church is persecuted. Government and authorities and politicians don't give me happiness. They don't give you happiness. It's important we realize that suffering by government often breeds revival. It's also important to know that my joy does not come from a political party. My joy is not relinquished because a political party is in charge. My joy comes from the Lord. And we respect authority because of the office that they are in. That's why we pray for our politicians no matter what party they are in. We respect the office and we ask God to give them wisdom. Amen? That's our rule. That's our, what we're called to do. So we see Paul, he lashed out too fast. First, he was controlled in the beginning of this verse in the story. He was controlled when he advocated for himself. Then he got punched in the mouth and he lashes out. And now he teaches us to respect and, and to respect authority of the office. The last lesson we learned from Paul is expect to hear from God in our suffering circumstances. Expect to hear from God in our suffering circumstances. In verse 23, or in verse 11 of chapter 23, it reads, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified, it, testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Take courage. Do you know God's encouragement is important and timely? Have you ever felt like you're out of control and you're in the midst of chaos and God encourages you in some way or some manner? God's encouragement is timely. The Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage as he was a prisoner. As he, after he was able to articulate his testimony twice and it wasn't received. Suffering produced the opportunity for personal encouragement in continuing God's plan. Not only encouragement for the moment for but for confirmation for Paul's future. Through this, Paul not only had encouragement when he was down and depressed about his current situation, but encouragement that God was going to send him to Rome, which means that he was going to survive where he is now. He wasn't going to be killed. He was going to survive his current circumstance and even move on to another country to be able to carry out God's will. The confidence that he had because of this encouragement gave him the motivation to continue on. And sometimes we need to sit back, listen to the encouragement of God to know that everything's going to be okay right now and in the future. Moving forward, everything is going to be okay. God is with us. God is encouraging us not only right now, but our future. The suffering produces a reliance on God, and oftentimes God's encouragement is the most profound in those moments. We find God more profound when we are suffering than when everything is good. I find myself praying to God more when I am suffering than when everything is okay in my life. Why? It's because I am relying on God, and I need his word. I need it. Do I always need God's word when everything is perfect in my life? Probably not. Do I need God's presence when everything is not going well in my life? Absolutely. Absolutely. When my faith is tested, when I'm going through a trial, I need the presence of God. And I need his encouragement. 
It brings me to the verse in Lamentations 3.22. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. My hope is in Jesus. Amen, church? Can you raise your hand to that? Can we, can we testify that, that my hope is in Jesus? No matter my circumstances, no matter my sufferings, no matter what I'm going through, my hope is in Jesus. Because the Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. You can't control the length of your life, but you can control its width and its depth. You can't control the weather, but you can control the moral atmosphere surrounding you. You can't control others, other people's attitudes, but you can see to it that you do not develop those same attitudes. You can't control hard times or rainy days, but you can bank money now to boost you through. Why worry about things you can't control? Get busy controlling all that depends on you. Amen? I'm going to invite our worship team up as we conclude this morning. As we go back to our first two main questions about why does God allow suffering, I want to give you some insight about Paul's story that maybe will encourage our lives and answer these questions. Why did God allow Paul's suffering? Why did God allow Paul to make a free choice to go into a situation where he knew he was going to suffer? That was Paul's difficult decision that he made, that God gave him the free choice but convictions to make, Paul, in God's will, made a difficult choice, walked into Jerusalem, and walked into certain suffering. Why did God allow suffering? Because God could certainly have pulled that whole situation and turned it around and let Paul be the hero. Everyone could have heard Paul's testimony, converted to Christianity, and Paul would have been the hero. But why did God allow Paul's suffering? Ever notice that as a prisoner, Paul was more protected physically than he would have been outside of prison? Do you think that was by accident? That Paul was a prisoner of the Roman command? As a prisoner, the Jewish people were not allowed to torture him, were not allowed to beat and to kill him. He was in the temple and they recognized him and before they could kill him, the Romans took him as a prisoner and as a prisoner, he was protected physically, was he not? If I was a prisoner, I certainly would think that that was suffering. Do you ever realize that because he went on trial multiple times, he was able to speak freely his testimony and the gospel in his defense? He was given the opportunity to share the gospel because he was a Roman citizen speaking on his defense. Do you think that was by accident? that not only the Roman people could hear him, but the high priests and the Jewish courts and the Jewish people heard his testimony? You would think that being in prison and being a prisoner and going to court would be suffering. Did, it ha- did you happen to notice that while in prison and as a prisoner, Paul was able to carry out the exact mission that God called him to carry out? God called him to preach the gospel in Jerusalem. And what did Paul do? He was able to preach the gospel in Jerusalem. But was it the way that he thought or wanted? Probably not. 
He probably didn't want to be a prisoner. He probably didn't want the consequences of maybe possible death if the courts disagreed with him. But Paul was able to do everything God asked him to do, regardless of his circumstances. Why does God allow suffering in your life? I can't answer that question, but I know that through suffering, you are still in God's will. I know that because every time I've gone to a hospital and I've prayed with a dear saint who is going through an illness, and that saint has a witness and a testimony that God is still with them, I know that impacts the people around them, the people who are sitting next to them in their deathbed, the people who are taking care of them, the nurses, the doctors. When you go to the hospital and you're sick, but you still have the joy of the Lord, do you know how great of a testimony that is? Through your suffering, God still works. Why are you suffering? It doesn't matter. It matters that you're still faithful to God through your suffering. The bigger question, how could God allow suffering in general? It starts with knowing that Jesus suffered himself. The gospel writer of John introduces the concept of the Trinity. Jesus, the son of God, was not created but took part in creation and has lived throughout all eternity in the bosom of the Father. We find that in John chapter 1, verse 18. That is a relationship of intimacy and love. But at the end of Jesus' life, Jesus was cut off from the Father. He was cut off from God, the Father. There's no greater agony than to be cut off from the most intimate relationship that you are in. And yet Jesus experienced this exclusion from God as a substitute in our place. So Jesus' death was absolutely different than any other death. The physical pain was nothing compared to the spiritual experience of abandonment. Christianity alone is the world's religion, only world's religion that claims that God became uniquely and fully human in Jesus Christ. And therefore, God personally knows what despair feels like. He personally knows what rejection feels like. He personally knows what injustice feels like. He personally knows what loneliness feels like. God personally knows what poverty feels like. God personally knows what sadness feels like. He personally knows what torture feels like. He personally knows what imprisonment feels like. So if we ask the question again, why does God allow suffering to continue? And as we look at the cross of Jesus, we don't know what the answer is. However, we know what the answer is not. The answer is not because God doesn't love us. And the answer is not because it can't because he is not concerned with our condition and he's not detached from our realities. The fact is God takes suffering so seriously that he's willing to take it on himself. So why does God allow suffering? I don't know, but I sure am thankful I serve a God who's experienced suffering. I'm sure thankful that God sent Jesus to suffer the most agonizing torment for me. And because of that, I can take this suffering that I have in my life, which is temporary. Our lives are temporary for my eternal reward with Jesus forever. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. So if we embrace the teaching that Jesus is God and he went to the cross, then we have a deep consolation and strength to face the brutal reality of life. We can know that God is truly Emmanuel, God with us.
God is with us. God created us. We are created in his image. And whatever suffering you are going through at this moment, at this day, God will give you the strength, the encouragement to continue to walk through it because he is ever present in our lives. Amen. Can you lift your hands this morning? Can you agree with me that he is ever present in our lives? Lord, we just worship you this morning. We give thanks to you this morning. We're so grateful. We serve a God who understands what suffering is, that we don't serve an empty God. We don't serve a God who is not present in our lives, but we serve a God that shows up every single day in our sufferings, that gives us encouragement. So Father, we look to you. We bow down before you. We worship you this morning because we know that you are ever present in our lives. You are Emmanuel, God with us, Lord, and we serve you. We worship you. We love you, God, and we thank you, Father, for your presence in our lives. Let's continue to worship this morning. If you have any prayer requests, I'm going to invite you forward. Our pastoral team, the people that are going to pray for you are up here. If you're going through a suffering, I invite you to come to this altar. Lay it before the feet of Jesus so that he can take care of you, that he can encourage you. Amen? Amen. God bless you this morning. The altars are open.